We'll be simply on one verse. John 8, verse 12. <clears throat> Brethren, remember that though I am the reader, God Himself is the speaker. And again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Amen. May God grant the illumination of the Holy Spirit as His Word is proclaimed. Tonight we recognize the anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. And the theme of our service tonight is post Tenebras, Luke's, after darkness, light. This phrase was a sort of a rallying cry of the Protestant reformers. It was a motto of the Reformation, as it were. It's still engraved in, on Reformation Wall or Reformation Park in the old city, Geneva. And it's a reference to how the darkness of the Middle Ages obscured the gospel, but in the Reformation, the gospel was rediscovered. As if the light of the midday sun broke through and enlightened the whole world. But as we honor this anniversary, as we give thanks to God tonight for how we still benefit from those precious truths recovered 500 years ago, isn't it true in some sense that the Reformation isn't the only period of history that embodies this phrase, After darkness, light? Can we also say that what God brought about in the Reformation is characteristic of what He's done before? And by His grace, and through His mercy, what He will do again. Tonight, I want us to consider that while light pierced the darkness in the Protestant Reformation, this was nothing less than a repeat. A a recapitulation, as it were. Of how God has often worked in the world where even in the midst of great darkness, He has been pleased to show mercy and send light. The reason I want us to think about it this way tonight is because frankly, we live in very dark times. The darkness around us seems only to be increasing more and more in Western civilization. What hope then do we have that the Lord who has acted in history will act that way again? I believe the answer to this question is found here in John chapter 8. And I believe this passage gives us some insight into how it is that God works in the first century, in the 16th century, and in our day as well. So I want to point out three themes about what Jesus means when He says, I am the light of the world. Three things this evening. First, when Jesus said, I am the light of the world, He's saying that He has come to expose the darkness of human sinfulness. He's come to expose the darkness of human sinfulness. If you're familiar with the book of John, then you know, most likely, that this theme of light and darkness is very prominent throughout this Gospel. 
John 1.1 very famously opens with a parallel of Genesis 1.1. And Jesus Christ is set forth as the author of new creation. The light which has come into the world, verse 5, it shines in the darkness and darkness has not overcome it. But before this light of the world is fully revealed in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, part of John's goal is to highlight the, the, the depth of human sinfulness, specifically in the conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees. This next appearance of light shows up with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. If you remember, he came to Jesus under the cover of darkness. There's a motif building here. It gives us an insight into his true intentions. And the Lord says to Nicodemus there, this is the judgment. That the light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. When we get to John 8, this is the background and thrust to what Jesus is saying here as well. We can say this because John 8 and John 9 is one of the longest disputes that Jesus has with the Pharisees. If you recall at the end of John 8, they pick up stones to try to kill him. If you recall, at the end of uh, John 9, the Pharisees excommunicated the blind man that Jesus had healed. The one whom He had given light to. John is showing us not just that the light has come into the world, but that the ugliness of human sin is so real, it's so deep, it's so dark, that by nature we hate the light. And we flee the light. One reason Jesus came into the world as the light of the world is to expose the darkness. But while this is certainly the, the bad news of our sinfulness, brethren, we need to hear this bad news before our eyes are open and ready to receive the good news. And praise be to God, Jesus immediately follows up this statement with a promise. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. While He came to expose the darkness of human pravity, there is no light apart from Him. While He came to expose the darkness of human pravity, if you are a follower of Christ, if you come to Him in faith as your only and sole righteousness, your only and sole uh, wisdom and sanctification and redemption, you have the promise of the incarnate God. You no longer walk in ignorance. You're no longer a slave to the darkness. You have been ushered into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the beloved Son, and the image of God is being renewed in you day by day, and your path through this life and the next is lit with the blaze of the midday sun. You can see and know where you are going and whom it is that is leading you there. You see, the situation in the first century was a little like the Middle Ages. In both eras, you had the Pharisees, you had the medieval church where the true nature of sin and salvation and justification and sanctification and life and eternal life, all of this was, was buried under a mountain of, of human tradition and self-righteousness and empty ritual. 
But just as Christ came as the light to expose the darkness in the first century, He did so in the Reformation as well. And this shows us, brethren, that His ministry did not end in the first century. It continues. The God who has been faithful in the past will be faithful again in the present and in the future. But there's a second aspect to this light of the world. Secondly, Jesus is the light, and now He is the light to the nations that God promised long ago. He's the light to the nations promised long ago. Again, the context of the book of John. John 8 stretches back into John 7. Jesus, all of this happens when He goes up to the Feast of Booths. In chapter 7, verse 37, Jesus stood up and cried out, claiming to be the fulfillment of what the Feast of Booths pointed to. He provides the fountain of living water. But when He says this, a dispute rises. Some of them tried to arrest Jesus. And it's during this dispute that a key statement is made. If you glance at the end of chapter 7, the very last verse, the chief priests and the Pharisees say, Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Now, I don't have time to get off on a tangent here, but I'd argue that this first half of chapter 8, the woman caught in adultery, while it very well may be original to the apostles, I believe it was added here in this Gospel after the book of John had already been written. It interrupts the flow of the narrative. And if this is true... Think about the very next statement. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He says this right after the accusation that no prophet had arisen, rises from Galilee. Why is this important? Well, because both of these statements connect to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9 is a very famous prophecy about the birth of Christ. We hear it read each year at Christmas. For unto us a child is born, a son is given. But the first two verses of Isaiah chapter 9 say this. In the latter time, He has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. See the the connection here. Jesus is directly contradicting the statement of the Pharisees that no prophet arises from Galilee. He is showing Himself as as that the fulfillment of what Isaiah promised long ago, a great light that would come to Galilee of the nations. And He does this so that we might see as well that Jesus is the light of the world in fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. Of course, this is also brought out when we think about what Jesus says when He says, whoever follows Me will not walk in darkness. Whoever. It's not just limited to the Jews. It's not just limited to the nation of Israel. Christ came as a Savior of the world. Christ came as the light of the world. Christ came as the light to the nations for both Jew and Gentile alike. Isaiah 49.6 I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. 
So here, Jesus is directly declaring in response to this challenge or this statement that I am the fulfillment of what God promised long ago. I am the light to the Gentiles to spread the knowledge of God until it covers the whole earth. Brother, what a great comfort that is to you and me. Most of us here uh, undoubtedly are Gentiles. And we can trace our redemption all the way back to what Jesus said 2,000 years ago and what Isaiah said long before that as well. That's the root of our salvation. We are the fulfillment of what God said so long ago. But can't you also see that this was at work during the Reformation? Hasn't the light of that day, which sparked in Wittenberg and in Geneva and parts of Europe, hasn't that light reached all the way here? Across the world to Chattanooga, Tennessee? Jesus as the light of the world is a fulfillment of what God promised long ago. And the Protestant Reformation is a further working out of that in our particular congregations, in our faith in Christ, here in this city, are an outworking of that as well. But third and finally, Jesus is the light because He embodies the wisdom and truth of the eternal God. He embodies the wisdom and the truth of the eternal God. The Feast of Booths had an elaborate lantern lighting celebration, ritual. There's a little note in verse 20. If you look down there, where it says, when he's talking about I'm the light of the world, he says, uh, John tells us that these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. The treasury in the temple was where tithes and offerings were made. This is significant though, because during the Feast of Booths, the treasury is the place where the lighting ritual would take place. Every single night of the week-long feast, there would be flutes and tambourines and dancing, and they would light these lights in the courtyard, to light the courtyard. So by saying, I am the light of the world in the very place where the lantern lighting celebration took place, Jesus is again showing and declaring that He's the fulfillment of all of what the feast symbolized and pointed to. But what did it point to? Well, the light symbolism in the Jewish feast pointed to several things. I don't know how much time we have tonight, but not enough. Few things that really stand out. Light recalled, of course, the creation account in Genesis 1, the covenant Lord, Yahweh, saying, Let light shine out of darkness. Light, of course, also pointed to the divine truth and wisdom that is found in the law. The word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. But most specifically, this lighting ceremony recalled the Exodus. And how God led the children of Israel through the wilderness by a pillar of light by night. So Jesus is standing up with this statement here saying, I am the pillar of light from the Exodus. 
I am the bright and shining light that leads God's people out of the chaotic wilderness and darkness of this fallen world into their inheritance. And just like Israel was called to follow the light through the wilderness, we too here must receive these words as a call to follow Him as the light of light that leads us to our inheritance as well. So brethren, with all of these all of these, all of this, uh, uh, these rich Old Testament themes, they all come together with this statement by our Lord. I am invoking the holy name of Yahweh. I and the Father are one. I am the light. I am the creator of the old creation, of the new creation, the one who reveals the Father. I am the light of the world. I am the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises to the Gentiles. I am the embodiment of the wisdom and the law. I am the new and greater Moses leading God's people to a new and greater Exodus. You see how all these themes come together and find their fulfillment in a person? Our God who became incarnate in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ? You see how even as we rejoice in the light of the Reformation, that ultimately our joy, our rejoicing rests on a Savior? The full embodiment of all true light that that the Protestant Reformation was was just a spark of His ineffable, glorious purity and light. This is why the Reformers in one of the five solos uh, was Solus Christus, Christ alone. This is why the Nicene Creed says that He alone was begotten from the Father before all ages. God from God, light from light, true God from true God. This is why the Scriptures say that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Him. Well, brethren, as we conclude... I pray you've gotten just a small glimpse, a small taste of what Christ meant when He declared Himself as the light of the world. And my hope is that as as you see how the light burst through in the first century, you rightly see and appreciate how it burst through in the Reformation as well, so that in our day too, we may not lose hope. We live in dark times. And even if we, if we didn't live in dark times, um, um, the darkness of heresy and immorality constantly worms its way into the church. We must always strive to conform ourselves to the light. What then is our hope in light of these dark times? What then is our response? What is our calling as Christians in the midst of such? Well, brethren, his faith is to faithfully preach law and gospel. Christ as exposing the depravity of human sinfulness and not shrinking back even when our culture attacks us for it. And it's holding forth Christ also in his atoning death and his perfect righteousness as the only answer to the darkness which he has come to expose. 
Our calling is to hold out Christ as the only hope of the Gentiles, the only hope of the nations, all of those who do not know God. And it's to stand firm in the proclamation of that message, knowing that just as Christ has been sent to the light of the nations, He has come to save His people, and our labors are not in vain. As the Lord says, I have 7,000 people in this city who have not yet bowed the knee to Baal. We go forth in that confidence because the fulfillment of Isaiah 9 has not been completed. And our calling is to hold out Christ as the embodiment of wisdom and knowledge and truth. He's the hope for salvation, not just at the last day, but He's our teacher and our guide and our sovereign Lord here and now as well. Brethren, what a comfort it is to know with certainty who we are in Him. Where we are going. That life is not random and cruel. That we're not simply subject to blind fate and chance. But that as we follow Christ, we are following the pillar of fire. The one that led Israel through the wilderness to their final destination. Jesus is our pillar of fire, and often we are led through the wilderness of pain and suffering, but there is a sure and certain destination that awaits us. We are simply called to follow Him. And may God give us the grace to see and Savior Jesus Christ as the light of the world this evening. Amen.